Hey friends, welcome to another episode of This Sovereign Life, where we inspire you to escape the mediocrity that we've been conditioned to see as success in this society, and instead pursue a life that is everything you desire and more. In this episode, I want to take it back to the good old Bible, and I'm going to talk about the story of Job. See, it came up in my mind the other day, and I realized something about it. But first of all, I want to mention that Job is a very controversial Bible story. In fact, some people are downright offended at God because of the story of Job in the Bible. And uh, if you haven't read it recently or ever, and you're not familiar with that story, I'll quickly recap it. The story starts out with God and Satan walking around somewhere out there together. And God brings up his servant Job to Satan. Satan's obviously on the prowl for somebody to disturb. And God says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? He's completely righteous. And the gist of it is that Job is a very righteous man. And you're like, what? God, what are you doing? Like, why are you bringing Job up to Satan? Like, that's a jerk move to straight up be like, hey, what about this guy? You want to go give him some trouble? And Satan's like, yeah, yeah, I do. So he gets God's permission to go. And I can't remember what he does first. If he ruins all of Job's stuff, because Job's like this rich man. He has a bunch of kids. Um, he's, you know, healthy. He's just this really great, righteous, perfect guy. Perfect, maybe is what the word was. And so Satan goes and he he fucks with Job's life, you know, he does some things, pulls some strings, and I can't remember, like I said, but I think first he ruins his crops or something, and Job still won't curse God, and so he goes back to talk to God, and God's like, yeah, but um, you didn't touch his family, he still has his family, so it's like, you're like, God, like, I mean, this is why people start hating on God because of this story, because God is literally bringing to Satan's attention where he can find Job's weakness, right? And it it comes across as cruel on God's part because here's Job just trying to live his life, be a good person, and God's literally pointing the devil towards making his life miserable, Right, so the devil goes back in and he kills all of his children. He, he makes a house fall on him. And Job still doesn't curse God. And he goes back to God and God's like, yeah, but he still has his health. Take a man's health and, you know, we'll see what happens. So um, Satan has to, in the story too, Satan has to get permission from God to do the things he does. And so he gets permission from God to go and affect Job's health, but he can't take his life, right? So he goes and he gives Job all these terrible diseases that are absolutely miserable. So now Job's all his wealth is gone, his family's gone, his wife is still alive somehow. Um and now his health is gone. He's miserable. And he still won't curse God. And his wife tells him to curse God and die. He won't do it. And then the the book of Job progresses into this whole long story about Job's friends who come to comfort him per se, but end up basically telling him where he's gone wrong and what he did to offend God and blah, blah, blah. And Job, and it's all these conversations, these long conversations back and forth. 
And then towards the end, there's this one friend and all these other friends are just kind of, they're, they're right in it with Job and they're all wrong and just, they're just looking for opportunities to be like, yeah, Job, you fucked up. You, you did the wrong thing. Um, whereas at the end, one friend comes out and really lays it down. Right. And this friend, it says that this friend is speaking from God. Right. And it all wraps up with this friend who is the voice of God, who is the one that actually gets it, finally getting through to Job. And Job finally, after all of this, seeing his own self-righteousness and seeing where he was basically, um, where he was elevating himself above God. And... Uh, the reason I'm talking about this is because it suddenly came to me, and I personally don't necessarily believe that Job is a literal story about a literal man in the Bible. Many people do, and other people believe that it's allegorical. I tend more to believe that it's allegorical. It makes a lot of sense to me that it would be allegorical. And honestly, I don't know that we, any of us, can say which stories are you know, especially in these Old Testament stories like this, which stories are actually real stories about real humans and which might be allegorical. So I'm not here to argue that point, but I personally see it as more allegorical at this point in my life. And that alone would change the way you look at it, right? Because if you're mad at God because of the story of Job, well, it's only really offensive if that's an actual story of a man. He really said, hey, kill his kids, you know. Um, that also doesn't necessarily have to be offensive. And a lot of people aren't offended by it because people all look at the story differently. And many people have uh, different opinions about it. But what really hit me the other day about it, because I've been going through my own journey of I would call it really rebirth, right? And to me, Job is kind of the story of rebirth. And what really came to me is that Job would be the perfect allegory for the journey that every single one of us must go through in order to truly, truly understand God's love and grace for us, right? Because we come out the gate. And I think it's especially key. And the funny thing is Job was so righteous, right? Job was this perfect man, literally calls him the perfect man. And what I've noticed, what I've, I have observed in my lifetime is that the more religious a person is, the more a person thinks that they know God and kind of proclaims their knowledge of the Bible and of God and states what they know as fact and believes in their own ability to be a follower of Jesus, to be righteous, so to speak, the harder it seems for that person to see their own blind spots. 
And it's very interesting parallel, right? And now thank God I was not anywhere near Job perfect. Because I think what this is telling us is that the more perfect you are, the harder it is to wake up to the discrepancy between your beliefs, who you think God is, and who God really is. And I feel like that is the ultimate uh, moral of this story. Ultimate outcome is that Job thought he knew who God was, right? Job thought he knew, and he, in his own version of who God was and what God wanted from him, he was perfect. He did everything perfectly. He had it locked down, right? And he probably never questioned himself because he was perfect. And yet God, God noticed him. God said too, God was the one that said he was perfect. But God was the one that wanted him to see something different. To see a different version than Job had in his own head. So whatever Job had going on that was perfect and righteous, God acknowledged that it was, right? But that's not what God wanted Job to know of God. That's not what God wanted Job to understand as the truth. And I think that's really fascinating because we, so many of us, you know, God doesn't say, oh, he, in the story, he doesn't say, oh, Job doesn't really know me. He thinks he does, but he doesn't know. He acknowledges, he's like, he's doing everything perfectly. But that's not the point somehow, right? And as the story goes on, it breaks it down to, to where you see that there's a different version of God that God wants Job to understand. And I feel that this is a parallel for anyone's life, right? We, and, and I, I can speak to this in my own journey because I, for very long majority of my life, had a certain view of God and I thought I knew what was up. I had a view of God that was shaped by my upbringing, by religion, by the Bible. But, you know, as far as I could tell about myself, I was a truth seeker. I wanted to know, um, you know, I wanted to have the right belief system to do things right. And to know what was actually true, right? We have all these things where we have these narratives about knowing the truth and seeking the truth and following Jesus and all of these things. And yet, in the past few years, every single thing that I thought I knew has been broken down and rebuilt before my eyes. And this came on the tail end of me thinking that I was going to accomplish all of these things, right? Like I had it figured out. I was going to go out on my own and I was going to do the things. I was going to do things right. I was going to stop, you know, letting all these other people in their annoying, stupid ways of doing things affect me. And I was going to go really set it down, right? And it was like God found me in that moment and said, Hey, no, like you're going to see a different side of me, but it's going to require this process of breaking down and rebuilding. And in this story, Job has these like four friends. I can't remember if it's four total, 
but at least three of them want to tell him all of these things that he did wrong. And I feel like that could be a parallel for our, our, you know, our physical friends, our, our friends that exist outside of us. But they could also be a parallel for our inner voices because both when you start to seek the truth, when you start to go after, when you go through this journey where you know there's something else, there's something else for you, there's something else that you don't know yet, you need to know about life in order for your life to be fulfilling because you truly want a more fulfilled life. All these friends, both internally and externally, will be right there to try to tear you down further, to try to be like, yeah, I knew, I knew you were being a hypocrite. I knew you were this and that. Ooh, I see a weakness now. Let me tell you more about what's wrong with you. We'll, we'll hear that from the outside, but you'll also hear that from the inside, my friends, and it'll be strong and loud from the inside. and. That right there is interesting. To me, it's so interesting to think about because in the story, these friends exist and a good portion of the entire book of Job is just these conversations between him and his three friends that are basically assholes. They're like pointing, pointing the fingers at him, telling him what he's done wrong and what he should do to get back in God's good graces, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, that feels a lot like the inner voices that really come up, that are really loud. And the reason I, I think that's fascinating is because Job could have, he had choices in those moments, right? Like he could have just listened to his friends, those friends that were being like assholes. <laughs> uh, he could have listened to them and I don't know what the outcome of that would have been, but it probably would have looked something like, you know, him doing what they said, trying to do more, right? Trying to do more. Maybe I should do this so that God will, okay, I'll try that. I'll try that, brother. Um, You know, and, and it probably would have looked like Job trying to do more things to be in God's good graces, to somehow be more perfect than he already was, more doing, more more of his own or his friends. But like I said, if it's the voices in your head, it's your own ideas about God, right? But then he resists through that. Conversations go on. And Job, I think it's notable that Job not only doesn't curse God, but he doesn't cave to these three friends. And I think that's an important point because a big part of the journey and the test is like, will you cave to those voices? Because if you do, whether they're inside or outside of you, that's going to be a stopping point. You're not going to make it through to the other side of more fulfillment and joy. If you cave to those voices, that's going to end it there for you. And I don't know what that result looks like. I've look different for everyone, but it's, but the result ultimately can be summed up in what I call a soul unrealized, right? Somebody that's like, you know what? It's too difficult. There's too many voices. You know, I'm going to stay small. 
I'm going to stay small because it's easier. It doesn't hurt as much. There's not as many people making me doubt myself, making me see all of the faults that come out into the open and, you know, that I have to deal with all the traumas. And, you know, it's much easier to have people believe in the small me than to not have anyone believe in who I'm actually meant to be. So I'm going to just stay there. And Joe could have done that. He could have been like, okay, guys, I'll do what you say. And then who knows? Who knows what would have happened? Maybe it would have just been him and his three friends for the rest of his life just, you know, patting each other on the back and telling each other lies and his wife telling him to curse God and die. But he resists. He resists their narratives. He he comes back. He doesn't just bow to that. And I feel personally like the devil is in those three friends as well. The devil wants more than anything for you to doubt that you have any worth and value and for you to believe that you have done God wrong in a way that you haven't done God wrong. He wants you to believe that the way for you to get in God's good graces is to do these things over here, right? He wants you to believe that like you have to follow these rules to please God. That's pretty crazy, right? What if those things that you think are important for you to live a godly life are actually the work of the devil or at least of your three bad friends? That's interesting. On the other hand, the last friend comes along and he's the youngest of them all. They're all much older than him. And yet he's the one that God gave his voice to, that God put the inspiration in to truly show Job what God was about and how far removed from that truth Job had been. And then the conversations go on, right? And he does, he accomplishes the mission and Job starts to realize that the problem all along was that he had been trying to please God. He had been doing, he had been being perfect rather than knowing God. Rather than being with God, he'd been pleasing God according to his own agenda and his own wisdom. And so it all kind of comes back around. And in the end, when Job finally realizes, and he finally, finally lets go of his own righteousness, then he can come back in communion with God. And God blesses him again and gives him back tenfold what he had before, all his wealth and his kids. And, and I literally heard a girl on a video like saying, like, what? what kind of God is that that would like, oh, I killed your kids, I'll just give you more. But say it's allegorical, and that's just speaking to the return of abundance and how much more fruitful it was after Job finally allowed himself to know God and to accept and appreciate God rather than his own righteousness. 
And so I just wanted to talk about it. I don't know how many, how many of my audience knows the story of Job that well, but it really, I think it's just so controversial when it comes to the Bible and people have so many different views on it. And yet I find it so relatable to my own life. And I think to the human journey in general, right? And I think it's beautiful and it's also, it's also terrifying because what if you go through a whole life without getting the chance to actually know God because your own ideas about God are in your way and they're separating you from God and they're giving Satan fodder. They're giving Satan room to take you down. They're giving Satan a way to get in and violate you. And it's really all your beliefs about God and your religious, you know, statues. And I don't know if that made sense, but, um, you know, it's your religious, uh, traditions and all these things that are actually keeping you further away from God. Because I feel like that was the way it was in my life. And it wasn't until I allowed God to just, until I allowed myself to see that all of these things that I was holding were, they were just, I, honestly, I, I had to come to the end of them. They weren't what I thought they were. And I got to a point where I wasn't getting any value from holding on to them. And when I could finally just let it go and be like, wow, I don't, <laughs> okay, I'm over myself. I am over myself here. I'm over all of the things I thought I knew. Just show me. That's when I feel like God really revealed himself to me. And I think that it's always an ongoing journey. But one thing I will say is that my perspective on God, my understanding of God, my relationship to God is forever changed. And I will never go back to what it was before because this one that I have now is so much more joyful and meaningful and fulfilling and true and real. And so I feel like that's another part of the story, right? Is there's this permanent change and Joe would never go back. And that I think is a true sign. And I'm not saying that it has to be any certain way, but like there's something to it, right? There's something to this permanent change that happens for a lot of people when they finally truly get to know God. When God reveals himself, not when they're trying to find God or figure God out or learn about God, right? And that's the way we do it as society and in religion. It's just like, oh, I'm going to learn about God and I'm going to think it through and I'm going to figure it out because I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to figure out what the Bible means. And I'm not saying there isn't any value in that, but I think that sometimes there can be more harm than good especially when you are at the wheel of trying to figure God out, of trying to, to understand the truth. Instead of allowing God to reveal God's self to you. That's such a big difference. And I truly believe 
that that is a big part of this human journey. And what we are here for is to get to know God and to get to know God, not on our terms, not from our perspective, but for who God truly is. And that is so much different than what we think. And that's part of that story is that Job's perspective on God did a 360. It was completely different in the end than what it was when he was the perfect man, when he was perfect in his righteousness. So just let that sink in because we often strive to be better, right? To be good, to be perfect in our righteousness, so to speak, to be a better follower of God, to be a better Christian, to do the things we're supposed to do to prove that we're a good Christian and be a good testimony. And personally, I think that my friend might be your Achilles heel if that's you. I certainly believe it was one of mine. And also the lightness and the relief and the joy. I think in this allegory, because I believe it's an allegory, the the return of Job's abundance and his family tenfold was testament to the kind of abundance and joy and love that God actually wants us to experience compared to the kind of abundance and joy and love that we can manufacture in our own lives. So still something that I'm learning about and yet, I can so surely say that there is much more to God, much more to God's power and love and grace and truth than any of us can figure out by reading the Bible and trying to decipher it with our own wisdom. Instead, maybe what we should really be seeking is to unlearn what we think we know so that we can really enter in to the joy of the Lord and what it means to be in communion with God himself. So I'll leave you with that. This is an ongoing thought process and discovery of myself and of the Bible, but more than that even of God and God's true nature, because to me, that is what is exists as the highest truth, even higher than any thought or book we can have in our sphere. And I hope for every one of us to experience that power and that love and at the most intimate level. Goodbye, my friends. I'll see you in the next episode.